today, oh, there we go. Today, we are teaching on a heresy uh, that is a little different from the one we taught before. Last week, we taught on Arianism, uh, which was the belief that Christ was God's first and greatest created being, or that there was a time when the Son was not, is how Arius said it. And we explained why that is super duper wrong, because Christ is not a created being, Christ himself is God. Today we're stepping into a different heresy, which actually occurred a little bit even earlier than the Arian heresy we talked about, uh, and this heresy is called Marconianism, or I'm sorry, Martianism, Martianism, all right? Now here's the deal, I guarantee to you, first off, that I will pronounce that wrong at least 13 times in the sermon today, because I have been taught three different pronunciations of this word. First one is Martianism, which is the one that both Merriam-Webster and uh, Britannica state is the right pronunciation for it. Then I have heard Marconianism, which doesn't even make sense in context, but that's what I've heard a lot. And Marcionism are the three that I've heard, all right, which a little bit more makes sense. But I guarantee you, I will say all three of them as we're talking today. My apologies. I'm going to shoot for Martianism. Now, Marconianism is not to be confused with the absolute love of and devotion to French President Emmanuel Marcon, not that, all right? Right. It is not to be confused with Martianism, which is the absolute love of the Matt Damon movie, The Martian. No. Also not right. And also not the unmistakable desire to eat macaroons, which is macaroonianism. No. That is the worst pun of the three, and I really debated not putting it in there. But I had to because I am a 35-year-old man who has never actually known what a macaroon was. So this gave me a reason to both Google image search and Wikipedia macaroons. So that's on my browser history now. All right. Uh, fun fact, if you didn't know, macaroons are made usually of either coconut or almond paste and egg whites. And so they don't have any leaven or flour in them, meaning whenever they were first introduced, they were quickly adopted by the Jewish community around them to eat during Passover. Uh, fun fact, has nothing to do with the sermon today, but if you walk out with nothing else, at least you learn something, right? Right. Ongoing. Marconianism. Marcionism. Martianism. Martianism. Martianism, all right, was is the belief structure held to by a man named Marcion of Sinope, or Sinope, uh, Sinope, I believe is how it's supposed to be pronounced. He lived and taught around 160 AD, so about 100 years after the apostles were writing the Gospels and the, uh, their letters, right? Uh, he taught some very interesting things. And one of the main things he taught, see, up to this point, all Christians had as known or held scripture was specifically the Septuagint. That was every Christian had the Septuagint in common, and then others read different writings from the early apostles. Uh, generally, the books that we have now within our canon, they would read these works together, and then some other random letters and things that some Christians hold on to, like a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Laodicea, which is not part of our Bible, but was still one that some Christians liked back then, right? But while... Marshon was uh, teaching and leading. He sat down with the elders at a church at one point, the presbyters of a church, 
and he had a conversation with them. And this conversation revolved around two pieces of scripture. And those two pieces of scripture were the concept that a good tree cannot bear evil fruit. So a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And also the concept that you cannot pour new wine into old wineskins. And these two things that he took and he said, how does this match up with what we know of the God of the Old Testament? All right. So he basically said, if a good God cannot bear bad fruit, then how did a good God create a world in which evil occurred? And his answer to this question was simple. The God of the Old Testament was not a good God. He argued that the creator God of the Old Testament was a, uh, I think the word is demurge, or bad God, an evil God, and that the God of the New Testament is a different God who is good and saves us from the bad one. Interesting, right? Interesting concept. I don't know how he got that from reading the New Testament. Fun story, he didn't. You see, Marchon loved the Apostle Paul a lot. He loved his writings, enjoyed learning from him, enjoyed hearing from him, and he uh, really enjoyed the way that he taught because he taught that that Paul explained the theology of this good and loving and merciful God very well. But he didn't believe that Jesus was at all tied to Judaism. And so he did some things. All four of the main gospels that we have now were known and were widely circulated amongst the church and were loved at this time. Uh, and he said, you know what? I don't like Mark, Matthew, or John because they talk about the God of the Old Testament way too much. So I'm just going to go with Luke. And you know what? Luke talks about them sometimes, too, so I'm just going to cut some parts out. So I'm going to take some parts of the Gospel of Luke, and this will be my main Gospel. Right? And then he said, I really like the writings of Paul. And so I'm going to take the main writings that Paul wrote to churches, not individuals, except for the book of Philemon. He kept that one in. And the books that Paul wrote to churches, I'm going to go ahead and hang on to, and these will be my uh, apostolarion or whatever. It's the, my, my grouping of ap apostolic writings. Only Paul, no one else counts, and only books that Paul wrote to whole churches, not people, except for Philemon, because that one's cool. This is basically what he did. And then he also went through those individual books and cut out parts that he didn't like that seemed to refer to the Old Testament God. Any place in which Paul quoted prophecy from the Old Testament, he removed. Any place wherein Paul uh, alluded to Christ being uh, back, he removed. He didn't like him, pulled him out. And so he built up this belief structure that was based around what he considered to be a good God from what he read of Scripture. Now, this is interesting because he has some very Gnostic tendencies. Next week, Creed will be teaching on Gnosticism, so I'm not going to dive too far into it. But Gnosticism tends to teach that there are good and bad in equal measure, uh, physical, bad, spiritual good, and that you have to gain or retain some secret knowledge to begin to understand these things. Gnosticism basically means secret or mystery. And so you have to gain secret knowledge to understand this and get past it and grow in it. Uh, whereas Marcion held the Gnostic tendencies, he also believed that matter is bad and spiritual is good. And he also believed that there were two gods fighting. He did not believe in the secret knowledge portion of it. He believed that this was plainly available by reading scripture right. Now, 
fun story as well. Uh, we have a saying in the leadership of City Church, which is if any of us do anything ridiculous enough that we have to make a rule to make sure this thing doesn't happen again, we done messed up in some way, shape, or form, right? If you've messed up enough that you have to have a rule specifically made for you so that that stuff doesn't happen again, you've done something wrong. Marcion had to have some rules made specifically because of what he did. You see, prior to this, there was a bound canon of Old Testament that Christians held to, and there was a loose collection of beliefs and books that Christians held to that were from the apostles. So they all tended to agree that the four Gospels were very authoritative and worth reading. All Christians agreed that the writings of Paul were authoritative, though there were some questions as to which ones were universally applicable. Uh, and they tended to believe that the works of John, uh, the works of Peter, and uh, other similar books, the book of Hebrews, who we don't actually have an author for, we believe that these were all uh, worth reading. There were some light questions on the book of Hebrew because it doesn't have a named author and all the other New Testament books do. And there were some light questions on the book of, of James because there are some specific things that James actually taught about uh, that were very, very specific and seemed at times to contradict Paul's works. They really didn't, but they seemed to. And so those ones were in question somewhat in the early church, but all the other ones generally agreed, worth reading, understanding, knowing. Okay? In the book of 1 Peter, I believe, Peter refers to Paul's writings as Scripture. So the church is already gaining some understanding of Scripture at this point, and the fact that the apostles' writings could have authority. But there was no tied together, these are the books that we accept from the New Testament as a whole. Most of the church agreed with all of them, but there was no actual rule that the New Testament is this. Marchon is the first known example of someone putting together a compendium of appropriate authoritative texts for his theology. He's the first one who built a canon, who built a Bible, took multiple writings, put them together, and said, these are the authoritative ones. Uh, he put together a bad one because he had to cut some stuff out, but he put one together. And in response, the church as a whole gathered together discussed and agreed upon which of the texts they were following were authoritative. Uh, side note, all of them, right? There were no, whenever you read the information that came out of these councils that occurred, there are no examples of them hearing books that they think should be included but didn't include eventually. The only real arguments were on those books that we mentioned, uh, James and Hebrews and a little bit on Revelation as to whether or not they should be included, but they said, no, everyone really believes and follows them. We probably should keep them in there, right? The canon of the New Testament is a result of this dude's action. That's a pretty big rule that had to be built because of what someone did, right? <sighs> Why was he wrong? This is a pretty fun and overarching question, but why is he wrong? We can answer easily from the books and portions of scripture he cut out. It's pretty darn easy to do so because he cut them out for a reason, right? Uh, the Old Testament itself states over and over again that there is no God besides God, that there are no others that are equal to him. There is no one who can measure up to him. There is no one that could overcome his power. Where Marcion is arguing that there was a God who could overcome the Old Testament God's power 
and to fix stuff that the Old Testament God had broken. Uh, so the Old Testament, duh, it talks about one God who is over all and who there is none that is like him. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-caring, and completely just, right? Uh, so that's easy from the Old Testament. It's easy from the books of the New Testament that he removed. If you read the book of Hebrews, yeah, it's basically about how the God of, of Israel loves in Jesus, right? It shows how he overcame in Jesus. Uh, so, of course, Marcion had to kick that one out. Uh, and then there were uh, the books of, like, John, wherein Jesus equates himself with the God of the Old Testament in the I Am statement. Or whenever Christ shows himself to create. Or whenever Christ uh, shows himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath, which is obviously a very Jewish concept. Or whenever Christ equates himself with the Old Testament Messiah, which he did, which he was, uh, which Marcion removed. So it's easy whenever you go to the books he's completely rejected. It's still easy whenever you talk in the books that he accepted. The Gospel of Luke literally starts with Jesus uh, it tells about Jesus' birth and moves through it. But then whenever Jesus' ministry, start, ministry starts off, he literally goes into a synagogue and he reads the scroll of Isaiah and reads the part about how uh, whenever the Messiah comes, such things will occur. And then he says, I tell you the truth, these things have been fulfilled in your sight in me. Like he literally says, I am the Jewish Messiah as the first thing he actually proclaims about his ministry in the Gospel of Luke. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, in Paul's writings, it's apparent over and over again. Uh, in Colossians, Paul says Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him and through him all things were created, all things on heaven and on earth. So he identifies Christ with the creator God. He is the one who did the creative action. That's Jesus. And Marcion still liked that book for some reason. Now, here's where you can tell that Marcion had balls, uh, had a little bit of uh, gumption, we'll say, who believed what he believed and was regardless, didn't really care about what other people thought. Because one of the books he really likes is Galatians, and literally the first part of the book of Galatians is Paul greeting people and saying, hello, people, I am Paul writing to you for these reasons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, which he tends to write in all of his works. And then he says... Let it be known that if anyone comes among you and teaches a gospel other than the one I am teaching, let him be accursed. I say again, if anyone teaches you anything other than what I've taught you, let him be accursed. It takes a lot of gall to say that's your favorite apostle, but you still have to cut out words that he said in order for your gospel to make sense. Right? Marcionism, Martianism, doesn't actually make sense whenever you read even the works that Marcion appreciated. He had to remove a ton of stuff to make his beliefs make sense. So whenever we just look at Scripture as a whole, we kind of say, yeah, I know, you're full of poopy. Thank you. Have a good day. Which is what the church did to him. If you would like a very in-depth look or a very in-depth understanding of why the early church thought this guy was full of, um, I got, you know, bad stuff, we'll say. Uh, there's a gentleman named Tertullian you can read. He wrote six books going piece by piece and refuting every point of this guy's argument. And you can easily go through and read these. He even goes through, we can tell what parts Marcion cut out of his Gospels and from his 
uh, uh, his books because Tertullian actually goes through point by point and says, you remove this section and here's why, and you shouldn't have, over and over again. <laughs> so if you want to know exactly, we don't actually have any of, we have, I just completely dropped off for a second, but we have writings completely against his writings that talk about his and refer to them enough that we can know what he taught. It's pretty easy. So if you want a really, really long read about this, you can find uh, free copies of Tertullian's works on things like uh, Project Gutenberg, or Kindle also actually usually has translations that were written in the 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, so you can actually pull those and read them if you'd like. I'm not going to read you this six-book overthrowing of this guy's arguments. We can basically say, no, he's wrong, right? But having said, obviously, that he's wrong, this still pops up again and again in our culture. This kind of selecting of texts that we read from pops up relatively often. We have a couple of famous examples. One of the easiest is Thomas Jefferson. You guys have heard of this guy? Kind of famous, pretty important. Nice guy, yeah? Pretty cool. Wrote some important stuff, did some important things. One of the things that he did was he actually had a copy of the Bible and he, he loved the concept of grace and love that Jesus taught. But he thought miracles were stupid and the supernatural was dumb. So he literally took a knife and excised portions of his Bible, cut them out and pasted them into a new book and said, this is the Bible I'm going to follow. If there were any mention of supernatural things or any mention of miracles, that got removed. So it was basically just the red letter points of Jesus whenever Jesus wasn't talking about miracles. It was all Jefferson accepted, right? We hold up Jefferson as this harbinger of a Christian nation, but he is no more Christian than Marcion. Uh, he was being a heretic. Uh, <laughs> did he believe in salvation through Christ? I don't know. Didn't talk to him about it. He didn't accept the whole of Scripture. That's interesting. We see this in Germany in around 1936. This exact understanding of Scripture began to pop up that the God of Jesus is different than the God of Israel and the Old Testament is not worth reading and New Testament mentions of the God of Israel or identifying Christ with him were not worth reading as well. And so they kicked out the Old Testament, selected parts of the New they liked that taught grace and mercy and ignored the Jewish aspects of it. Can anyone guess why 1938 Germany would do something like this? Why Christians in that area would do so? Anti-Semitism was rising rapidly. We did, they did not want a God that was identified with the Jewish God. Because it would kind of be bad for them to be churches and persecuting the people of the God that they claimed to follow. This led to another heresy, which was called positive Christianity. Sounds super nice, right? Positive Christianity sounds wonderful. Basically, it's ultra-nationalistic Christianity. Christianity was created to support a state. And so Christianity that was created to support the Nazi state. If you all wonder whenever Jake talks about nationalism as heresy, that's whenever it was identified and considered heresy following that. Because Christianity in Germany was literally twisted to support Nazism. And if you don't know what I mean by that, you can literally go to museums in Germany and find blankets and things that were sewed or scrapbooked by Christian church groups. You know, like we have the nice little scrapbooking people here who were scrapbooking in Nazi imagery into their, uh, not scrapbooking, knitting 
Nazi imagery into like the throws and stuff they were knitting. Like the church was thoroughly tied into Nazism. Anywho, other times this pops up though. If you want a really easy time for this where someone says the God of the Old Testament is obviously evil, that is how most of the time people who are atheists argue against Christianity or theism in general. They say, if you believe this God, this God is bad. Uh, Richard Dawkins, he writes this in The God Delusion. Uh, he says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Man, he's a jerk. Sorry. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, uh, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully is how Richard Dawkins describes the God of the Old Testament in The God Delusion. The concept that God of the Old Testament equals bad lives on today pretty heavily, though now usually without outside of the church. I say usually for a reason. I say usually for a reason, because even within churches like our own, there is a tendency to gloss over rough points of the Old Testament and even rough points of the New Testament that we don't want to talk about because it's hard. And by doing so, by ignoring and choosing not to look at them, we are saying through our silence, these things were bad. We're arguing with our lives that they were bad. There's a reason why we taught through an entire section on the, the minor prophets. That's a part that's usually skipped over because God is acting in a way that we don't normally uh, remember him acting as. There are also theologies today that hold that the God of the Old Testament is so out of line with how we hold Christ's character to be that we have to read the God of the Old Testament fully through a Jesus lens and say any time where it seems like he's acting the way Jesus wouldn't, that was probably just people inserting stuff into the text. Which is... Not the same as Marcionism, but the same thing in essence. It's arguing that what we read in the Old Testament is distinct and different than what we read in the New. And that God's nature changed completely between the two. And if that's the case, old God, bad, good, God, good, new God, good. Right? These are wrong theologies. God in the Old Testament loves just as much as God in the New God in the New Testament is angered by and dislikes sin just as much as the God of the Old. The God of the New Testament is as much creator as the God of the Old because they are the same God. The God of the Old Testament is redeemer just as much as the God of the New because they are the same God. God's nature and character has not changed throughout history. He has been the same and he is the same. We worship the God of Genesis and Leviticus as much as we worship the God of John and Mark. Amen? Why does this matter? We claim to submit ourselves to God and we claim to love God, right? We can't just claim to love him in part. To truly accept and love someone is to recognize who they are and the things that you as a person may like or dislike about them. You actually know them 
and recognize these things and love throughout anyway, right? Uh, if I were to say to Christy, honey, I love the things I know about you, and that's it, and I don't want to know any more, because if I learn bad stuff, I may not like you anymore. That's not me actually loving her. That's me loving my idea of her. That happens a lot, by the way, in infatuation, in case you've ever wondered. You ever stop and look at someone and say, oh, that person is so awesome, and I wish I was like them, or I wish I could be them, or I wish I could be with that person? Oftentimes, we're doing that in our brain towards another person. We're saying, oh, I love the idea of what it would be like to be that person, or I love the idea of what it would be like to be with that person, because you can very easily just say, I'm just going to pick and choose the things that I like and pretend like nothing bad exists. That's not love. Love is wanting to know more and more who someone is and recognizing that they are worth knowing the entire step of the way, every process of it, every moment of it, even parts that make us uncomfortable. Am I saying you should read the Old Testament and never be uncomfortable? No, you should be. And I would argue that at times God did the things he did and said the things he said to make us uncomfortable because we should be uncomfortable with where we are. I should be uncomfortable in my own sin. But I can't just say, oh, God, I don't want to know these parts of you, and so I'm going to ignore them. This is where Marcionism creeps into the church today. Whenever we say, I love hearing about Jesus and John, I don't like hearing about God in Leviticus. And so I'm never going to read Leviticus. I'm going to spend all my time in John. We learn about him through all of it. We should be reading all of it. And it should challenge you and make you feel uncomfortable, make you wonder why God would do such things, and make us try to wrestle with the absolute justice of God along with his absolute mercy. We need to wrestle with these things, and we need to recognize that they are paradoxical. I don't understand how they fit together perfectly, but they do. But to choose not to wrestle is to choose not to mourn. To choose not to love him, to choose not to know these things, is to choose not to submit yourself to him. And if following Christ is submitting yourself to who he is, probably should know who that is in any full way. What are my takeaways for this sermon? Simple. Don't cut parts out of your Bible. Duh. Leave them all in there. That's pretty easy. Uh, if I walk through and someone's just got like sections chopped out, we're going to have some conversation. Uh, two, recognize that the Old Testament and the New are intrinsically valuable. Fun story, a while ago, uh, did we even talk about this one in the podcast, Jake, or did we argue something else? Uh, whether there are parts of Scripture that are more valuable than others? <laughs> Our first podcast was that we argued whether or not there were parts of Scripture that were more important uh, than others. Uh, I took the yes, there are side. Jake took the no, there's not side. And after preaching the sermon, Jake again was right. Yeah. <laughs> like, which is how we basically ended up the first time anyway. 
which is why I don't know if I'm going to enjoy these argumentative podcasts very often. Uh, but yeah, no, the Old Testament is just as important as the New. Uh, the book of Revelation is just as important as the book of John. Uh, the book of Mark is as important as Luke. Romans is as important as Psalms. It is all worth knowing and all worth learning about because it always teaches us about him and he is the only one worth knowing. Do you guys have any thoughts or questions on why Martianism is bad? We all get it. Martianism bad, right? Martianism bad. Regular old Orthodox Christianity good. Just so you know, that's going to be my takeaway for literally every one of these. Last week, Arianism bad. Regular Orthodox Christianity good. Right? This is where we're going with all of these. You may be asking yourself, why are we teaching through these things again? Because at some point, I can guarantee you, as you speak to other Christians or non-Christians, you will come across someone who says, you know what, I think Leviticus is bad. And I think it was uh, completely just put out there by the Jewish people of the time to try and understand who God is. Uh, but it doesn't actually teach anything about him. And you can say, oh, uh -huh. please don't do that. Because in doing so, you're choosing not to understand your God in full. Or know him better. Yes, sir. Well, that was the thing. He argued with church elders about it, and they said, no, you can't choppy choppy. And he's like, wrong, and ran and choppy choppy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this, um, there are people in the church today who I still have arguments of this nature like this. Um, maybe not so much saying that the Old Testament itself, the Old Testament God is different than the New, but arguing that the Old Testament God uh, was written about in such a way that unless you reinterpret him through what we know of the New, he is purely unidentifiable in the Old. Uh, basically arguing that you cannot see the same characteristics of God in the Old Testament that you can see in the New without having seen the New, right? So you can't see a God who believes in redemption in the Old Testament as easily as you can in the New. You can't see a God who is loving in the Old that you can in the New. You can't see a God who is merciful in the Old that you can in the New. Huh? No. Usually. <laughs> yes.
I have definitely heard that before and not pulling in anachronisms or things from today into the old or into later past times is something we should definitely worry about. On the flip side, one of the things that we should probably also not do is assume more difference than there is, right? Which is one of the things that we do often in war now, right? We assume war is nice now whenever war used to be bad then. War isn't nice now. <laughs> like, war is still really bad. Kids still die. People who are not combatants still die. Uh, it's still messy and bloody and bad. Like, we can't sanitize war now either. Um, it, it's semi unfair to say that it was okay for gods to approve of genocide then, but not okay now because of the way culture has changed whenever God is supposed to be above and beyond culture, right? So what is right for God is right for God, regardless of what our culture says. Um, does it make things like the uh, the taking over of Canaan hard? Oh, yes. It makes it very hard. Uh, does it make it anything that's outside of God's moral character? No. The conquest of Canaan happened. Uh, people were punished by God for not fully removing the people from the land. And that falls within his rightness and justness and love and mercy somehow. Possibly in a way I can't understand or comprehend, but it still fits in there. Now it's worth noting as you read through these things. As we touch on heresy, you'll probably find something out. Some of the heresies that we hold to or not we hold to, that people hold to. Whew! Some of the heresies people hold to at times simplify difficult, difficult things, right? Arianism attempted to simplify some difficult, difficult understandings of God because it attempted to make it so that we could recognize that there is one God whom everything else is under without having to wrestle to through a concept of Trinity, something that is paradoxical and that we cannot understand. Arianism tried to fix it. Marcion tries to fix the fact that God in the Old Testament looks much more harsh and vindictive at times than the God of the New. He was trying to make it easier, and oh my goodness, would it be easier rationally to work through God as loving if I did not have to think about the Canaanite conquest? Yeah, it'd be easier. Super easy if what I think love is is what love is. It's a lot easier if I just choose what things I think are loving, right? So at a time, a heresy could be easier to understand or even uh, emotionally or, or personally easier to believe. And the fact that we have to say, no, they're wrong, is an indication that, oh my goodness, sometimes the right thing is hard to understand or deal with. Whenever we get to the Trinitarian conflicts, the conflicts on what the Trinity looks like, that is born literally out of the want to make the Trinity easier to understand. It's easier to understand the three people of God if they're three distinct beings, or it's easier to understand if there is one God who hides himself in three different masks. Those are both much easier to comprehend than a God who is eternally one and eternally uh, three persons who are the same substance but uh, different 
personalities and that there was never a time when they were not. That is mind-boggling. We can't get it, which probably means it's more godly because he is bigger than us. If I can easily understand my God, I am my God. My knowledge is my God. Make sense? Okay. This is all rough stuff. It's fun and hard. I enjoy it. But it's worthwhile. We're going to get through this series, and you guys will be like, man, I don't know why we even did that. But then you're going to be like hearing people teaching at later points. They're like, oh, that's a heresy. Should have picked up on that before. That dude is super teaching heresy right now. Maybe that's not a person I should listen to as much as I would have before. Make sense?